Here we go, rejecting the screen. Noah Kazov mm. out here on the East Coast, out west. Adam Stanko, just two plugged in dudes talking hoops and a little bit of life on this Tuesday. Coming at you on Thursday, the Going ISO edition with noted NBA trainer and author Rob McClanahan comes your way on Thursday. Same feed, rejecting the screen, the Going ISO edition. Make sure you go back and listen to any number of the previous Going ISO editions of Rejecting the Screen with Peter Vesey and Sam Mitchell and Richard Jefferson all the way back, Ryan Rosillo as well. And you can come up to speed with Mark Jackson, Kevin Willis, and so many others, Earl Watson, et cetera. Had some great guests, some great stories, Joe Henderson recently as well. So Kyle Brandt is on NFL Network. Mm-hmm. And it's I, I still think of Kyle Brandt from the real world. I don't know how many others do, but I'm of that age. When I see Kyle Brandt, I still think right. real world. Right. And then as like the Princeton football player, but he's a good personality on NFL Network. And earlier today, as we recorded this on Monday, he said the media doesn't want the NFL to be playing this in response to the Marlins having an outbreak of COVID and things looking bleak for major league baseball and some of my guests in the media saying, yep, NFL, good luck. I saw that and I shook my head. And the first thing I thought of was aside from the obvious of why would the media not want the NFL to play when it's their, when it's so many of their own livelihoods to cover the sport Mm -hmm. is we've got to stop with this lumping together of the media whether it's a talking head on television yes. or it's someone yes. who is actually covering the sport day to day, or it's someone on the news side that yes. isn't tied, isn't their livelihood and food on their table isn't tied to covering the Buffalo bills. This whole lumping together of the media. I don't claim to be a member of the media. I'm not covering a sport day to day. I am not, Dave McMenamin or Brian Windhorst. I have my own opinions, but I'm certainly not as well sourced or even claimed to be. I'm an opinionist, I'd say, on the NBA, an informed and opinionist, but Mm -hmm. I don't cover the sport. And I know we've talked about this before. Yes, sometimes informed. When a sideline reporter says, I cover the Atlanta Hawks, I cover the Boston Celtics, I always say, and we have discussed this, no, you don't. You don't cover that team. You're employed by that team. Yes. You talk about that team all the time. Yes. Your job is to put that team in the best light all the time. You're basically a member of the team. team. Exactly. You don't cover the team. You're a member of the team. Listen, here's, here's the thing. When you start lumping media members together, it's a dangerous game because it's so varied in terms of how many members of the media there are and so many different members within a given organization. It's like how people talk about ESPN all the time. And it's like, Oh, what ESPN did. Did you see what ESPN did? Well, it's like, first of all, they have their digital group. Then they have their remote production group. They have their studio group. Uh, And then within those, there are individuals. The big trouble spots are when stuff gets passed down from management or there's a belief that surfaces that overtakes what everyone is dealing with. 
And so as an example, Noah, and you and I have, have spoken about some of the issues you and I have faced in, in covering these things in the past. But as an example, I bring up the year the Lakers had Steve Nash and Dwight Howard and Kobe Bryant, and they dealt with the injuries and Mike Brown's dis- disastrous start. Okay, you, you recall that that year with the Lakers. And it was like everyone was expecting these crazy things for the Lakers. And then it was just it never fit because of injuries, because of the chemistry. It just everything was off. And so they had this rough start and there were people at ESPN obsessed with it. It was all they covered. And I was working as a segment producer on SportsCenter at the time, went into a meeting and I would deal with the guests and pitch what the segment was going to be. And so I was working with the NBA guys, and I don't know whether at the time, whether it was Tim Legler uh, or Antonio Davis, I don't remember which NBA guys I was working with, but my pitch for that show that day was, okay, I said to the the line producer, hey, here's the deal. I want to talk Spurs. They've won like 14 straight. They're the top team in the NBA. They're on fire right now. And I said, I think we lead with a question about the Spurs, and then we go on. And it might have even been like a – an NBA writer, some we were having too. And they said, nope, yeah, we can't do that. And literally the producer goes, I'll get laughed at by management if I lead with the Spurs. And I go, what do you mean? They go, we have to lead with the Lakers. Come on. I mean, they're, and I was like, the Lakers are in last place. They're like, yeah, but we have to. And here's the deal. No one directly told that producer that. But the producer had this belief that it'll be safe for him if he covers the Lakers Whereas if he, I don't know why, but it, covering the Spurs somehow mm-hmm. is taking a chance because quote unquote, they're boring or they're too predictable, what have you like. And so for some reason, not covering the Spurs to him was the safe way to go. And it's this idea though. The problem that I always have with those things is then you feed into this belief that people have that it's like all the media covers it the same way, but there are beat writers. There are people like you and I that cover podcasts. There are people within ESPN. My point being that like, in the production meeting, you have differences of opinion mm-hmm. and what should be covered and how it should be covered. So this idea in general of the media overall having this common thought, this thread that goes throughout is just ridiculous in itself. All media, we generalize in that fashion. But then if we're going to dig a little deeper into this point, I brought up the point, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, Noah, where my feelings towards the NBA coming back, like I didn't know if I wanted it to come back. But not because of the the reasons that stuff is brought up, like Brant is talking about. Like, I don't understand, like, why this is people's livelihoods. I know people who have lost jobs all over the place. It's affected friends. It's affected colleagues, people I respect in the business. And I am heartbroken over it. But you know what I've also seen being impacted is deaths right now. Are coronavirus cases that are going to leave people in terrible physical condition for the rest of their lives. That stuff is real as well. And so this idea that people somehow are rooting for sports to not take place because of a pandemic is missing the mark on the whole. If there's anyone thinking that it shouldn't come back at all, it's only because they have the same belief that you and I, not to say I told you so, but again, stuff that's an inauthentic argument. Really what they're trying to say is, I'm a little bit worried because if sports is coming back, then maybe other people won't take it seriously. Maybe people won't view this virus the same way. And that's dangerous in its own right. And at least if we're going to have that argument, let's make it an authentic one. Well, in a, in a reporter, a jo- the job is to present 
the facts and also to investigate. So mm -hmm. if a reporter is writing, here's what could happen, here are the doctors I spoke to, here's what could happen, then they are immediately labeled as you don't want this sport to happen. No, they're just doing their job. They're just presenting here is a possibility of what could happen if the NFL does come back. We all want this to work. We all want the NBA to work. I didn't yes. think baseball could work. I don't think the NFL can work. I don't know how college sports can work when you're traveling and you're keeping everybody then all together and then going home. I, I don't know how it can work. The bubble, as we've talked about, and as David Locke brought up pretty early on Locked on NBA, that the bubble needs to work because the NBA needs to see what is possible for the start of next season. Yes. We're not gonna we're not going to be traveling and likely we're not gonna be traveling and have games in all these different arenas next year. It's it's highly likely that we're gonna be starting next season in this situation. There's also the part that everyone is starved for information right now. Whether that's because what you're being fed by your cousin on Facebook or what it is that you're seeing on a TV news report or what you come across on Twitter, there's a question of what do I believe? Are the, are the numbers being inflated? Are they undervalued? Are, what do they actually mean? And because we're not all scientists or data scientists even for that matter, and because we're not doctors specializing in pandemics, everyone is left to try to figure out based upon the information they have in front of them, what's actually going on. And it's, it's, to me, a big part about the NBA specifically, which has this contained area, which had this great idea, and I still believe it's a great idea. Hey, if we can bring people together in an area and quarantine them, we are going to have our best chance of success here because they're not going to be exposed to the outside world, which, by the way, is also a very good thing because they're not in front of 20,000 fans and people spreading infection and all that, which obviously we can all agree with. But the other part to me is when I talk about the information, I think about the idea that I would like to hope that the NBA is more informed than I am. I would like to hope that between the different training staffs and between the billionaires running teams and people serving on these boards and all the money that's involved in this sport, that they are privy to conversations with influential people in the field of pandemics and research and all that, they're tapped into a world that I am not. So I love to say, hey, I'm going to trust your lead NBA, just like I trusted it at the start of this whole thing when they decided to shut it all down. I'm going to say to the same thing to the NBA, hey, if you think it's safe to play because of the protocols you put in place and the setup that you have, I trust that you've had enough conversations with doctors and scientists to feel like this is safe. And that probably means then that maybe there's reason for optimism on the other side for the rest of us. And so there's that part of it too, that I think about. And I just, I can't believe that people would put this message out there as though blindly we are sitting here promoting. And I, I put myself as a we, because I was one of the ones saying, I don't know that I want it necessarily to return as though it's an argument for, and I told you so, like how how anyone could possibly think that way. It almost bothers me that we have to talk about it. And if you're willing to call out football players and other athletes on a daily basis, 
on a show. And so I'll say football players or basketball players, if you're willing to call them out, and then you're going to say the media, call out individuals then. Please. Put names to that. If you're going to call out certain players for making boneheaded mistakes or not doing their jobs, so then call out individual media members. Please. And it's and that doesn't happen enough in general. And Noah, I always give you credit for this because from the very beginning when you and I met, that was one of the things that I loved about about how you approach things and you still do is that you put a name to it. When you when you reach out on Twitter, you call people out and you go, this tweet right here is ridiculous. Like this needs to be addressed <laughs> right now. Dwayne Wade did not have Larry Bird's career. I'm sorry. You can hope for that. You can say what you want. And I love and, Dwayne Wade's and, and, and that was one of my employers. <laughs> yes. Yes. CBS Sports HQ. Who who tweets? Which career would was it? Which career would you rather have, Dwayne Wade or Larry? Bur I mean, yeah, basically. Or who had a who had a better career? I mean, you know, if, if I see if I see another, I have we talked about this on the podcast or just on text, and and I I never want to tweet it because it's just our national conversation just doesn't. I, I don't I don't think it'd be received with the appropriate level of sarcasm. If I see another start, sit, bench, start, bench, oh. cut, I so oh. badly want to do, oh, oh, okay, here, uh, start, bench, cut, uh, wife, college girlfriend, high school girlfriend. And I know we've <laughs> texted about that, but I don't think we've ever talked about it. No, we've never brought it up on the podcast. And I just, I think it's funny. Or maybe it's a bit for a comedian to do, but yes. in today's climate, probably not the way to go. A Bucks cakewalk to the NBA finals. And if you look at the odds at the moment, the, to win the East, the bucks are yeah. heavy, heavy favorites, heavy favorites. And you've got to, you've got to lay a lot more money than you're going to get back. Okay. And then you've got the Celtics at six to one. So the bucks are at five to nine um, Celtics at six to one. Sixers at 15 to 2, Raptors 8 to 1, Heat 15 to 1, then Pacers 40 to 1, Nets, Magic, Wizards bringing up the rear. You brought this up over text over the weekend that someone you someone asked you, aren't the Bucks a, a cakewalk to the NBA to the NBA finals? I'll go back to what we've said from the beginning. Like I think this, I think there are so many variables here in play. Mm -hmm. I think the Bucs have a great chance because of the success they've had in the past, because of the experience, because of a leader that Giannis is to keep everybody focused. And, and the team itself just seems laser focused all the time. But I think there are way too many variables in play here to think that anybody's going to cakewalk to anything. Yeah, if we weren't talking about a bubble scenario, I would have said Yes, I do think the Bucks. Now, granted, they were starting to be exposed a little bit. I think three-game losing streak uh, right before the stoppage of play. Um, we can check that right now. But but I think it was the three-game losing streak. So there was a reason for a little bit of concern. But if you looked, I mean, the Bucks were the top scoring team in the NBA, top defensive team in the NBA, uh, number one in pace. Giannis has been the best defensive player in the league, in my opinion, 
He's also been the best player in the league, and they're so deep. And they were getting three-point shooting, uh, uh, other members of the team contributing offensively, and really a team that's just clicking on all cylinders. The confidence has been there. The one knock, of course, is you know their their experience uh, and 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 what we've seen from them in the past, and that'll be the question mark for Giannis if if they're unsuccessful. Although this year's throws it all off. But the bubble, as you point out, brings up all of these weird variables. And the one that I keep coming back to, I'm going to start referring to it as the Marco Bellinelli variable. And that mm-hmm. is when you're in a situation with no fans and it doesn't feel like a real NBA arena, guys that you didn't realize how good they could potentially be are going to show you some special things because it's just different when the lights I don't want to say the lights aren't as bright, but the crowd's not as loud because there is no crowd, because that pressure is different. That intensity is different. So it's going to change how officials call games. And it's all, which has been, obviously we know, has been influenced by crowds in the past, of course, in the NBA more than any other sport possibly. And then just the pressure for players and that that tension that you feel that's different when you do something in front of 20,000 people as opposed to in front of 50 people. And I think... We're going to start to see it. And, and if you don't believe me, you've already seen it. Matt Thomas from you know, the, the, the Raptors hits, hits four threes. We, we see the shooting performance at Duncan Robinson, although he's one of the best shooters in the league. We saw his, his first performance with the Heat. And again, I get that these are scrimmages, but I think you're going to see some out-of-the-box um, games from guys that we would never have expected. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the factors that's really going to throw this all out of whack is how do the role players play? Not to mention the idea that there's no home court advantage, which also would have been a huge advantage for the Bucks. Right. And then just the stress of being away from home for this long. I, I, that's why I, I just don't think you're able to tell. I think, I don't think you're able to tell anything from these scrimmages about the way the guys are playing that will lead us to what will happen in the playoffs, maybe in the seeding games, but not in the playoffs. I do think, though, that momentum that is seemingly, I think, been debunked in terms of the playoffs, usually like, oh, this team has momentum. Is momentum really exist in sports? That kind of, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I do think that momentum in these playoffs will mean a ton that if oh yeah a team if if a team blows out the other in the first two games of the playoffs and say by halftime it's not close of game three forget it one two three Cancun Nick Van Axel we're moving on and so and so game four is that's no no team is sticking around to fight hard to extend a series and they're down 3-0 when they've been in the bubble for three months, unless they've been running from the law. Although, <laughs> although the opposite view of that is it's not like you then have to, after the first two games of a series, get on a plane and this idea that, oh, I don't want to have to go and travel and go, you know, we which we well, often see from teams. Well, hold on. That, so, but usually that's the 2-0, you're headed back to your home floor. So you do want it, so you do want to get on that plane, go back. Okay, now we're getting back home. We got the home fans behind us. Sure. In this, in this case, you're going back to your room, or maybe you're going to play. That, well, I guess my point was gonna be not not I guess my point was more going to be this idea of you're down 
3-0, I guess, is more of the is more of the thought. You're down 3-0. Oh, okay. Like oftentimes we see teams quit and and it's this idea of where's you know the potential travel in the future. So I just I'm thinking I'm thinking halftime. If you're down 2-0, <laughs> halftime and the game isn't close in game in game three, guys are are texting home, hey, uh be home in three days. And I think it's feeling like that already. I, here's the thing. I know. I think what to, I guess my point is that you're bringing up within the span of a game, and I'm more thinking of it series wide, right? Because because you're not looking at it as much big picture. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas you know, with with the travel involved and all that, and then the questions you're going to have from the media and deal with all this kind of stuff. I, I just I've already noticed that things look a little bit flatter, and maybe that's just on TV. Maybe that's just my own feeling about it. And if we were in a preseason situation, I think I would feel that anyway right now. So it's it's hard to gauge. But I'm with you. I think that is sort of going to be the case. I think it's much easier for guys just to sort of say, forget this uh, while they're playing in these circumstances, whereas like a home crowd won't allow you to do that. Or even even battling an away crowd won't won't allow you to do that. There's going to be a, there's just a different level of of energy that cannot be replicated no matter how cool the inside of these arenas look right now. If I gave you the Bucks or the field to win the East, what would you take? I still take the Bucks because give me Giannis. And I think, I think at the end of the day, defense, defense will travel. And that means it also will be in the bubble, if you will. And so I think they're, <laughs> it will travel they're from, room, from the presidential suite to the arena. It It'll travel, travel from from Magic City to anywhere else it needs to go. But the I'm, defense taking, I'm, taking, I'm taking the field. I'm taking the field. If you mm. gave me the Lakers or the field, I'm taking the field again. There are so many variables, and you're an on, you're a Giannis injury away, and you're more susceptible, I would imagine, to a whether a soft tissue injury or a virus in this situation. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah. I'm absolutely taking the field in both situations. You talked about it feeling flat. Let's talk about. The broadcasts. The very first game that was on was a Clippers Magic game. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know it because it didn't mention it on the screen that it was a radio simulcast. And it was Noah Eagle, Ironson, who does the. And at some point, we'll just call him Noah Eagle instead of. Noah Eagle, I and son, but it was Noah Eagle was doing the radio broadcast solo for the Clippers. And it was a simulcast on television. So I'm following along, I'm following along. And, and like, I didn't know at the time that it was a, a simulcast. And it, it didn't let me know that on the screen. So I'm, I'm texting some folks and they say, yeah, it's a simulcast. And I said, all right, well, someone's got to put that up on the screen because the league's getting hammered on Twitter. And because I was checking Twitter to see, does somebody know something that I don't? Did I miss something? Right. And it was a radio call on television. And that is mind numbing. I I can't, I can't listen to it. No matter how good the radio play by play guy is, when you're watching something on TV and they're describing every single bounce, that's radio. That's what you should do. You're painting the picture for someone who can't actually see it, but now I can see it. So that that needed to be that needed to be changed. Something else that stands out is the sideline, the near sideline that's empty. Mm-hmm. So there's no there are no fans there. Yep. And it's and the and it's not even a different color. 
And so I know some of the players have said it's tricky over there because, yeah, there's a line, but the depth is different. And then it's not, there's no different color and you're not sure where out of bounds is. And a lot of guys have stepped out of bounds, but I, I don't think that's changing for the, for the other games, for the seeding games or, or the playoff games. But as I watched over the weekend, Adam, I did feel it took me like, like three games and it made me feel, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I'm watching a, watching a basketball game. I'm cool with it. I think, the fact that they're they're pulling this off to the success that they are on television, let alone the the science of it, is should should be commended. I think the aesthetics inside the bubble have been great. I'm really impressed with what they were what they were able to do, knowing that these things are all so difficult. I mean, when I when I think back of anything anyone is trying to do right now in the United States from a professional standpoint is difficult. Mm-hmm. It, it requires getting people together in a way that's just hard and has to everything you would think, as we all know, that what should take one day is going to take a week because you have to think about all these different things and people can't be close. And and, oh, if we try to get this person, well, we can't fly them in. So we have to use local crews and all that stuff. So the job that they've done aesthetically within the bubble, I think, has been phenomenal. I also will say that listening to broadcasts, I think broadcasts have really been helped by the idea that a lot of them are doing it from, if not all, I I don't know the numbers on this, but I know a lot of them are, are doing the broadcasts from their team's home arena. And then, and then that is being broadcast out over the airways into the bubble. And I, and I think that that's I, I think it was a smart play. Obviously, there's technical reasons why that makes sense to do with your broadcast crew. Your setup's already all there, so it's really easy to pull off. But also, I think it provides just something differently. When they're in an arena, it's easier to feel that way. It's much better than having it happen in someone's bedroom or, or living room or something, or the local you know studio that they can get the into RS10, some booth right. and call the game. Exactly, exactly. So. I think for for those reasons, I, I've actually been impressed with what guys have been able to do when we're not talking about radio calls in terms of the actual job broadcasting. And then the other thing I've noticed, like I like uh, I've been fascinated with um, TNT's arena show. That's been the other thing that's that's been I around. What I haven't seen. watched the whole episode yet. Yeah, I, I went and watched uh, multiple episodes um, on on demand on on Hulu. And uh, it's interesting with Draymond Green. I haven't seen the part where Draymond Green and Charles Barkley must have had their their discussion. I mean, they're right, that's the only socialism. that's the only thing I watched. That's <laughs> yeah. the only actually that's like oh, the really? only clip I watched. And that's I funny. didn't think I didn't think Barkley was hard enough on him. I think Barkley kind of gave up. He, he, I thought Dray, Draymond. So what Draymond said was, yeah. he said, I don't think that it, they, he, he told Barkley, it is your job to lift us up. And he was talking about as, as, an, Afri- as an African-American. It is, mm-hmm. it is your job to lift us up. It is your job not to take money out of our pockets by criticizing us. Well. It is his job to, to criticize. It's not his job to take money out of your pocket. That's, of course. It's his job to be an analyst. That's that's a job. 
but and he then he referenced the Shaq Javel McGee thing. How, how Shaq was just relentless on Javel McGee. There's there is basketball criticism. Then there's personal attacks, etc. Right. right. So let's separate the two here. But yes, no, For it sure. is. It, but Draymond cannot be, and Barkley should have. I thought Barkley should have come back, and, and whoever was hosting should have said something like, "It it is their job to say." I wouldn't pay this guy this much money. Like it, it's yeah. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for you. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, the overriding theme. I mean, it's been interesting as it's been, you know, social justice issues and sort of the NBA's take on that. Okay. And for people who don't know, Carrie Champion, Dwayne Wade, and as oh, you mentioned, Champion, Charles yeah. Barkley and and Draymond Green. And I think Carrie Champion's done a nice job of um, of navigating and. Uh, and, and dealing with that crew uh, there, it's an interesting group that's, that's out there. And one of the things that's sort of become a recurring theme is they go on a topic about something involving black lives matter or how the, the players should handle protesting or what their stance should be, or, you know, even some things that are, that are tough to talk about, or people don't typically talk about, you know, NCAA's idea of amateurism uh, for instance, mm. or, you know, McCore Maker going to, you know, as we talked about, going to Howard and 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 uh, furthering his basketball career at an HBCU and what that's going to do. And it's a lot of social issues and stuff. And one of the recurring themes that's popped up is Barkley has seemingly taken the side of, hey, well, guys need to be careful about this. You know, it's guys need to be careful. Not that he doesn't believe in what needs to be done or the message that's coming across, but it's like, hey, if Marcus Smart is going to go out and every time he answers a question, all he's going to say is Breonna Taylor's killers must be brought to justice. If that's going to be what he says every time, people are going to stop talking to him. So he needs to be careful of this. If your message is, oh, we, we have a problem with the NCAA, like that, that message could be misconstrued, what have you. Um, and I just I, I think it's interesting that Barkley's taken that approach, that approach. So at least it doesn't feel like you just have three people on set that are just host talk, throws out a topic. They all just agree. So it's mm-hmm. good to have a differing viewpoint um, to sort of have a devil's advocate point, if you will. But that's not Barkley's place where he's coming from. It is. I just worry about that. The message is going to be lost mm-hmm. because people are going to be turned off by this. And Barkley does talk to more corporate crowds, AKA white crowds and, and people who want politics out of sports and all this stuff. And I think I disagree with his premise a lot of the time, but it's interesting to hear a differing viewpoint. I will say that. I think on that front, I think PR staffs need to do a better job of informing the reporters beforehand. Hey, Marcus Smart's coming out. He's only going to talk about Breonna Taylor. We will also have X, Y, and Z player who will be talking about the games. So please make sure that all of your questions to Marcus Smart pertain to this. Okay. Right. And so, so we don't have players talking about black lives matter and then reporters trying to ask basketball questions and not reading the room. Right. Cause I think that's, that's not good for either side. And also on the players association side, they have gone to the professional basketball, the players have talked to, to the PA and they're having conversations with the pro basketball Writers association about separate forms for this so it can still get the same amount of attention and so that everybody can get everything that they need because reporters have a job to do as well 
So they're trying to figure and that was Barclay's all point. that out. That was Barkley's point on that whole thing was mm. reporters have a job to do. So you have to let them do their job. And they did reach a point where it was like, hey, what are some solutions that, that, that they could come to? So the message is still being conveyed and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I love to see that there's a platform out there. I like what TNT's doing, um, talking about some of these social issues. And it's it's interesting to hear some different viewpoints, for sure. One other thing that I do like about the broadcast, finally, is now that they can use so many different angles because mm-hmm. there are no fans there that the cameras would end up blocking. And I know we talked about it a long time ago that the true like social aspect, and I heard Steve Helmet talking about this once, who's EVP, Media Operations and Technology for NBA Entertainment, that he had, he had long said that the, the social aspect of an NBA game isn't posting tweets and up there and other comments. It's actually using what the fans are capturing on their own. So how do we get the cell phone camera angle that goes out everywhere on social media? How do we get that angle in the broadcast? Well, now we are getting that in the broadcast because we're getting that low angle, first row courtside angle because there's no other, there are no fans there to block it. So we're getting that. So make sure you go back and listen to all other episodes of Rejecting the Screen. The Going ISO editions, they're evergreen. Go back, listen to Stu Jackson, Gerald Henderson, Lindsey Hunter has mm. been recent. The filmmaker, Mike Talasian, who did Once Brothers and Q-Ball. Mark Jackson, the big man from Temple, who spent a bunch of years in the NBA, notably for Minnesota and Philadelphia. You can go back and enjoy those anytime and Please, when you're on there listening on Apple Podcasts, just click five stars and leave a quick review. And if you're so inclined, if you like one of our followers did on Spotify, he went to Apple Podcasts, even though he's listening on Spotify and still wrote the review, which was just as thoughtful as it gets. It was from Knowles Horns 2510. Spotify title, the best, five stars. Spotify listener actually just coming here to rate. I love that I found this pod during quarantine in March, and I love seeing players I remember growing up, mostly the relatively new ones like Adam Morrison, Brendan Haywood, being a Mav in 2011 championship run, et cetera. Love the work two of you do, and hope anyone who is thinking of listening to a new NBA pod should definitely try this one. So Knowles, Horns, 2510, we appreciate you. Everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On NBA, five days a week, Hollinger and Duncan, John Hollinger and Nate Duncan, Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board, and your team every day on the Locked On Podcast Network. Adam is on Twitter at NaismithLives. I'm at Noah Koslov, C-O-S-L-O-V. On Instagram at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. I give Adam a ton of credit. What, what you did with the Stu Jackson steve francis story mm. that type of production that's a plus man thanks brother that's did it all plus. on my phone did it all on my phone you have to teach me that a I plus a thanks, plus brother. adam I have to teach avery that yeah thanks pal you are the best